0: You are listening to the Cycling Podcast at the 2022 Vuelta España, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Today we are on the Puerto de Nava Cerrada.
1: Y
2: ahora, testigo de sublime de los sonidos.
3: Hello, buenas tardes from La Vuelta a España, my name is Daniel Freeba. I'm the host of tonight's episode and as you heard our friend Rob Hatch just say, I think he just said, I'm on the Puerto de Navacerada built way back at the end of the 18th century to penetrate the Sierra de Guadarrama and link the provinces of Madrid and Segovia. And today, the scene of the last act in this year's Vuelta a España drama before the procession. We think it will be a procession in Madrid tomorrow night. I say that, but Remco Avenapol has just walked into the mobile bouncy castle, which is doubling as a press room today, and started his press conference. And he was announced as the winner, he was presented as the winner of the Vuelta a España um, which I'm, I'm always a little bit uncomfortable with. Um, at the start of tonight, not, not uncomfortable with the fact that Remco Eviner might win the um, Vuelta a España, although that might apply to our guest in a minute, but um, the fact that he hasn't yet won it and anything could happen tomorrow. The first thing you heard in tonight's episode was a bit of music from late in the dead of night last night. We were staying in a place called Naval Carnero which is a bit of a satellite town of Madrid, I don't know, 30, 40 kilometres to the west of Madrid. And it was pumping, the fiestas de verano, the summer fiestas which we've encountered in many places this week. Well, they went off and they went on and I didn't get much sleep at all because the music was still thumping and pumping until seven o'clock in the morning. So you'll forgive my slight weariness this evening. Fortunately, fortunately, to put a bit of wind back into my sails, I am joined tonight from Pietrasanta in Tuscany. It's the former CSC, Team Sky and Orica GreenEdge communications manager, a man whose response to the marginal gain revolution when he launched Team Leopard Trek in 2011 was the enforcement of an obligatory silk scarf dress code for all team members. And as the team's great white hope for a Tour de France, a French Tour de France victory, the signing of Brice Feu. A man who confessed to having spent the previous July, in his own words, on the beach eating three Magnum ice creams a day. It is a man who has since found success, admiration and prestige in the worlds of art, wine, highbrow broadcast journalism and yes, humble podcasting. It is our great Dane. And other plastic Italian, it's Brian Nygaard.
4: Thank you, Daniel. Thank you very much. It's a, it's a pleasure also to be here on the last big stage I feel very honoured, especially when you look at the other options you, you've, have, you've had <laughs> throughout the race. I, I really feel very humbled. Thank you.
3: Brian, I could speak to you all night about silk scarves and Leopard Trek, but we, we shan't do that. We won't do that. We'll focus, we will go, we'll dive straight in tonight um, into one of your other areas of expertise, and genuine expertise, because you did work for all those years as a communications guru, Svengali, for many teams. And before we get to the action that occurred today on the road of the Vuelta a España. There has been this story bubbling where it broke yesterday and Primoz Roglic issuing a statement sort of decrying the conduct of Fred Wright that caused Primoz Roglic to crash on the stage to Tomares, wasn't it, Um, just outside Sevilla and being backed up by his team, Jumbo Visma. Brian, before you wade in and give us your view on this, I spoke this morning at the start of the stage to are very upset still Fred Wright he's pretty he's pretty disconcerted by um, all of this business and this is what he said this morning.
5: It was hard I think the team did really well you know I was immediately after the stage sort of pretty happy and you know kind of emotional about being so close to winning again and then you know the team were quite quickly to you know get me back on the bus and be like look Jumbo Visma made this statement and yeah my my initial reaction was yeah pretty disappointed and I think it's unfair. I think it's, yeah, it's unfair to to call me out in the way they've done three days after the incident itself. And yeah, I, I don't... I, just, I still don't think it's, I've done anything wrong. I mean, I, don't, I'm, I can't be asked to look at the... Vi- I think there's been so many people looking at the footage and studying it. and It's a shame. It's a shame. I, I don't know where I, I held my line. I was on the right side, so... I, I, don't, I don't know, and I, to be honest, yeah, it's it's a strange run, but I mean, yeah, I I still hope that, of course, I hope Roglic is all right. Like I, I said it in my when I tweeted about it, like I I didn't I didn't want him, no no one, no one wanted him, wants him out of the race like that. Like he was today was could have been the day where he won the world. <laughs> Fred, you said straight afterwards you would kind of try and reach out to him. I was just wondering
6: whether you did, whether you could. And whether you, he's a guy you have contact with generally.
5: I, I sent him a message, but you know I haven't actually had a chance to, to properly speak to him, but I think it'd be good because you know you don't know with these things like with what, you know what position he's in and yeah I, I just I hope he's all right.
3: So Brian. Um, uh, I wouldn't say a sheepish Fred Wright a a slightly mystified Fred Wright still mystified for reasons we discussed yesterday on the podcast this is very out of character for Primoz Roglic I spoke to his agent Mattia Galli this afternoon and well he sort of explained the the thought process behind what Primoz Roglic did yesterday issuing this statement Um, still quite convinced that that Fred Wright accidentally brought him down but Brian what have you made of all of this? Well,
4: looking at it uh, from the outside, this was not a, a smart move by, by Jombo Wiesmer at all. Uh, especially in the era of social media, I think this was bound to be a, a PR meltdown for them. When you read the, um, the press release, what Richard Pluger says makes a lot of sense. I, I, I really rate him. I, I, he's, a, he's a rational thinker. He, he, he doesn't, I don't think he gets emotional about things that easily, and which I think in PR is, is a good idea. But it's also like you I mean you've talked to Roglic or, or at least tried to talk to Roglic for years. This I, I, this is a side to him that I that I'm not aware of. Like I don't like he doesn't he's not much of a talker in general, and he's not one to often speak his, his opinion about anything much. And I think this this attack uh, on on Fred Wright is, is completely uncalled for. Yeah, we can talk a lot about rider safety, but I think they are they they're starting off at the completely wrong place. And I you know I think everyone's everyone can see the footage, everyone can have an opinion about it, but then blaming Wright for that uh, crash and then shoehorning it into talking about rider safety it completely misses the mark. And it kind of like, you know, Roglic goes from um, a position of deep sympathy. You know, he was the one challenger left for Evnipol to, to potentially lose the Vuelta. You know, when, when someone in second play crashes out of a Grand Tour, you have full sympathy, and, and, and you know, I, I guess most people still do.
3: And the guy Brian acknowledged, widely acknowledged, and um, acknowledged for several years now for his diplomacy yeah. and sort of non principle of non-aggression, and exactly. um, we've never heard him. We've never heard him complain about even a rider not taking a turn in a breakaway. Exactly. Yeah. So the, I mean, it's, it's out of
4: character, and it doesn't. I don't hear a lot of rogues behind those words. And, and I think something like even if you say you have you had an issue with something like that, usually in the sport, you take that directly to the rider or to the team. You go and have a chat at the boss. I think starting this kind of you're sending out this this press release and then expecting people to make sense of it in the era of social media. Yeah, I, 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 you're basically shooting your own foot with a double barrel, you know, gun. I, it, it's I'm I'm very surprised and it's it's not fortunate for for your because I think they've been very success, successful in managing success at, without losing sympathy. And that's something, you know, go and talk that's, to Brails. That's a
3: very good point, yeah.
4: Go and talk to Brails about how hard that is. I think, that, you know, in the, in the days of Sky, their popularity peaked when Froome crashed out of the cobblestone stage because some, someone finally found sympathy for them. And I think that's a, that's a, you can build up integrity, you can build up uh, credibility, but you can lose it quite fast if, if you start pulling stunts like this. And there, This is not the finest hour of the Jumbo PR machinery at all.
3: Yeah, that kind of image of sort of class and, as you say, decorum and dignity. You kind of um, go up by the stairs and down in the elevator with that, don't you? You can exactly. lose it almost immediately. Yeah. Um, well, Brian, let's get to the racing. It was well, the, the Vuelta was I wouldn't say tantalisingly poised overnight, but we did have this stage ahead of us in the Sierra de Guadarrama. We talked about how these mountains have often decided the Vuelta Espana. Remco Evenepoel led the general classification by two minutes, seven seconds from Enric Maas. Um, Had he won today or had he consolidated that advantage, he was set to become the first Belgian Grand Tour winner since Johan de Munch and won the Giro in 1978. There are a few interesting storylines, Brian, sort of bubbling. Um, Few riders' positions were under threat overnight. Juan Ayuso was in third place, a 19-year-old. He was, well, um, about 40 seconds ahead of Superman Lopez. And then... Even in an even more precarious position, in fifth place was Carlos Rodríguez Sugarman, Man, um, one of the other revelations of this Vuelta a España, the Ineos rider, and he was just 25 seconds ahead of uh, Joao Almeida. But most importantly, he was still very much beaten and bruised after his crash the other day. He got through yesterday's stage bandaged, uh, obviously ailing, but today he was due to come under attack from UAE. He was going to have to count on his team. We'd been wondering how some of his teammates had been getting on in the last few days. Teo Gaginhardt slipped down general classification. He's 16th, or he was 16th on general classification overnight. Um, 40 minutes, 36 seconds down. Um, I caught up with him this morning just to see how things were going and um, and how he'd been riding the last few days. Here is what he said.
6: I think it was stage 13, actually. I dropped a bar from scale on it, giving it to the Soigneur.
3: And yeah, it was <laughs> just...
6: I don't know, not a nice way to start the day, 7.30 in the morning, you're tired and it fell out the bag. And uh, It's all right now, actually. It's, it's been better the last couple of days, but the Sierra Nevada day, it was really, really bad. I just couldn't really push with my left leg, so it's like that, mate. Um, that's how it goes. I felt really good before. I felt all right the last few days, but uh, yeah, obviously the goals shifted after after that day really uh, and even a bit the day before I was already not not quite the same. But.
3: So Brian, an unusual injury there dropping bottom scales on one's toe. Is that one that's ever befallen news? We hear actually some applause in the background for Remco Evenepoel in his, well, winners-elect press conference as discussed often in this World Health Spain. He's conducted himself extremely well in front of the press. <laughs> the only thing that
4: comes to mind was uh, Michael Matthews uh, dropping a cup of tea on his foot and leaving him with a second-degree burn, uh, which took him ah. off foot for, for quite a bit. Um, and I'd wasn't that bo- um,
3: Bob Young? was. Uh,
4: Bob Someone Young dropped was a, a knife on a foot as well, I think, at some point. But not I think Bob Young
3: was. Bob Young was dropped a glass on a foot in, and was it in a nightclub? It might even have been at the end of the infamous end of welter party. Um, uh, anyway, we've, we've all that had nonsense. that happen. <laughs> We have, all sorts of things have happened at the end of of Party. Um, and might happen tomorrow night, who knows. Brian, 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 we've talked a lot about how things were poised going into today's stage. It's about that time of the evening when we, see, we hear what did happen today.
0: El resumen del día a contra The stage summary time trial.
3: Brian Nygaard, are you ready for your final time trial, your final resumen de la etapa contra reloj de la vuelta? I think so. You have 90 seconds, Brian Nygaard. I'll, I'll allow you to wear a silk scarf and you're rolling down the ramp right now.
4: Stage 20 from Mural Sarsal to Puerto del Navacelada, 181 kilometers. A huge breakaway dominated most of the stage, which meant that 26 riders hit the second last climb with a... Advances around three and a half minutes, setting a hard pace. Movistar were trying to isolate Evan back in the favorites group, even if they still had a couple of riders in the front group, the breakaway. A few riders dropped and uh, eventually came back. But a lot of um, the main guys were troubled by the pace the Movistar set. But it wasn't until the valley between the second, last and last climb that it somewhat came back together um, with people licking their wounds. Up in the front group, they were almost getting caught as Carapaz went off on his own. Ikita went after. However, Carapaz attacked on the crest with 7 kilometers to go. Uh, UAE were pulling behind them, but Carapaz managed to actually uh, walk away with his third stage win. Aronsman was second. In the GC group, no real attacks other than Tim and Aronsman uh, had any stick to it. So Evan and Paul could easily drift into the last mountain stage as the winner of this welter bar anything happening tomorrow
3: 15 seconds left any comment on silk scarves possibly well it's
4: it's, it's a long time ago i i'll see in my wardrobe if i still have have that specific silk scarf and i'd be happy to auction it for whatever kind of charity of your liking
3: what a splendid gesture! And um, there should be a, maybe there should be a prize for sartorial elegance on grand tours. Maybe a Brian nygaard endorsed silk scarf would be an appropriate one. But let's talk just um, let's round up the classifications, Brian, because as you say, Remco Avonapol, barring accident, will win the World Time Spaniard tomorrow, and the same really applies to the other classifications. They're pretty much done and dusted. Team classification that's been won easily by UAE Team Emirates, Movistar, the perennial winners. Really, they're down in third place. Uh, Ineos Grenadier, second. Youth classification, well, Remco qualifies for that as well, so an easy victory for him there. King of the Mountains, that was another objective of Ineos Grenadiers today, to keep hold of that jersey. Carapaz has obviously won that with a commanding lead points jersey, well, Mads Pedersen won that in about June. And that that about wraps up the Wadda Espanol classifications. Um, So tomorrow, all that remains to be seen is who's going to win that final stage, and I suppose Mads Pedersen will be the favourite. Brian, you discussed... Um, a few of those guys we mentioned as a sort of prelude to the stage summary time trial. A few of the guys whose positions were under threat today. Juan Ayuso, well, he defended his third place. But unfortunately, Sugarman Rodriguez, Carlos Rodriguez, despite riding, uh, riding very bravely, very gamely, um, he did lose two places on general classification. And uh, well, he was leapfrogged by Joao Almeida, who will now finish fifth and time in Aronsman, just one second though
4: between Aronsman and Rodriguez one single second between sixth and seventh place
3: wow and that was well Aronsman put in a huge effort didn't he Um, as he well as he came into the last kilometre and, well, it was a valuable one, wasn't it? Because that will mean a lot to him and a lot to his team. But, Brian, let's hear from a a few of the Spaniards who were in the thick of the action today. A complete set of Spaniards, in fact. Um, Let's hear from Carlos Verona, teammate to Enric Mas, who, as discussed yesterday, hails from this part of Spain and the Sierra de Guadarrama let's also hear from Juan Ayuso who's
7: going to finish on the podium of the World at 19 years of age
3: and let's hear from Sugarman Rodriguez
7: I think my face says this all no? I don't know how I look but I feel like we try our best just congrats to Renko because he was the strongest in La Vuelta. we try in every moment today there was an initial breakaway no dangerous for the GC so we keep trying at the end we put two riders in the front Alejandro and Mulberger. Then in Morcuera, we set the hardest tempo possible, but Renko didn't show any any single symptom of lack of. Uh, like he was super strong. So, congrats to him, took a quick step. And uh, yeah, I think we have to be happy because we we just tried until the end. I think like for us, it's really good result, no? If you look one month ago in the Tour de France, Enrique getting dropped in every decent, like the confidence in the team was lost and here we saw that we are back in the battle i think enrique saw again like he is there no like the, the tour was just a bad moment and i think this is very important for us for the future no at the end next year he's gonna be our leader again and i think this is a good experience for everyone in the team and i think we have to be very happy with this and our renko you know this young your riders nothing to say no he won this year yes in an incredible way i was expecting that the vuelta was a little bit too long for him because since last night he was already super strong but he's such a big talent, uh, and at the end, he was the best. Carlos, we spoke yesterday about how these are your home roads. You
6: grew grew up doing these climbs. How special was it to be fighting for victory in the Vuelta España on them
7: today? This morning, I woke up super happy because this is my home roads. My mom lives eight kilometers from here, just at the bottom of this climb. When I was, I remember, like 10, 12 years old, I climbed for the first time this, this climb with my father. It was the first time I dropped him off. Uh, yeah, he just got a uh, back uh, <laughs> surgery. But it was the first time I get dropped him. and yeah, I was so special, so happy. All the people supporting in the roads. So many no faces in the public. This morning was my first coach here in the start. So emotional day.
6: I just have to be, be grateful. No? I think uh, I told the team I was feeling good. We wanted to go also for the stage. And yeah, they worked perfectly. And at the end, yeah, it's a... Uh, that two guys are right in front and yeah I won the sprint in the group but it's meaningless but yeah I just have to be happy I'm on the podium in my first Grand Tour with 19 years of age it's just incredible first, not to the people not, but for me that, that I've proven to myself that, that I can be a Grand Tour rider that I can one day win, win these races and and that's the most important thing
2: almost dead <laughs> I suffer from minute zero but well, yeah I, I knew what to expect in the beginning of today's stage and yeah i had the my teammates supporting me from minute zero so they made my day much easier they helped me finish the best way possible so yeah very grateful to all of them and also to all the staff for all the hard work we also could win the stage yeah. the Le jersey with Richard so very happy and yeah I, I have to be happy with the results when I started this Volta I didn't expect to finish six overall and every after everything what happened have to be very happy with with the result and, and yeah thank you to, to everyone for their support it's a big lessons for the future to never surrender give always your best focus on yourself and yeah uh, hopefully in the future we can get uh, a, better, a better result thanks to this experience
0: the cycling podcast at the 2022 Vuelta España powered by super sapiens energy management for committed athletes and coaches still guessing on fueling not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real time glucose data, actionable insights, and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success.
3: Thank you very much to Super Sapiens, our title sponsors. You can find out more about Super Sapiens at supersapiens.com.
0: El Diario
2: Remco. The Daily Remco Yeah, you know, you feel like so many emotions going through your body It's it's special because you're one day away from, from a Grand Tour victory So uh, you start dreaming, you start believing more than you did the days before But, I mean, it's a stage like all the other stages, but it's just the last one So let's try to stay as calm as possible, as long as possible My lead is quite comfortable, so following is the task and uh, yeah it's all about the head and the legs today well brian that was
3: remco avenapool this morning sounding well sounding very impressive actually sounding very collected very together very motivated and um, didn't want to take anything for granted and he sounded very much like that throughout this Vuelta a España. There's a lot more polish to Remco Evenepoel than certainly there was a year or so ago which you would expect he has matured a lot and well Brian how do you feel now about your prediction prognostication at the very start of this World a España? not that Remco Evenepoel not only would he not win the World a España, he would never win a Grand Tour. I was, I was dead wrong, on that wasn't I. And that's that's fine. I mean, you
4: know, when you see how how well he was racing, especially in the second part of the welter, how his decision making, I think, was really one of a champion. The potential for him, I mean, he he, he was you know through and through the right win of this welter. It was definitely helpful that Roglic uh, didn't didn't participate in the last mountain stages. But I I have a feeling that um, uh, Rem Evenepoel would have won it anyways i think as a, as a person I think we've gotten to know him a little bit better, and the more i the more i the more i see the less i uh, dislike him which is a bit of a h- harsh word i just i just i've just been missing something you know when I've seen him racing when I've seen him talking, but isn't that sports you know you you like some and and some you you like less so i mean his his strength and his ability on the bike is it's, it's beyond discussion, you know, and he he will pretend, He's definitely a potential winner of more Grand Tours than this one. He'll he'll face stronger competition. I'm 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 convinced about that, and I think that's one of the reasons why we might not see him at the Tour already next year. But uh, who knows?
3: Brian, we talked about Roglic's statement yesterday being out of character, and if you'd said to me a month ago that Remco Avonapol would win the Vuelta a Espana, I would have expected it to be in the vein of. A lot of his career so far, it's been spectacular, and there've been very high highs and low lows. And there's been a sort of a febrile air about it. A hyster- there's been a hysteria around mm. him because of how prodigious he has been, and how much hype there's been in Belgium. And there's always a, a sort of a, hyster- a hysterical side to Belgian coverage of cycling. And and you know, often they do get things out of proportion because you know they have to fill 12 pages of the paper about cycling uh, with their cycling coverage um, at certain times of the year and I would have expected him to win a Vuelta possibly in that way with the experiencing the same very high highs and low lows but it hasn't been like that it's been very controlled, he's been very poised off the bike as well, there have been no moments of huge anxiety even those moments when he was on the back foot last weekend in Andalucía the crises, whatever panic there was, was dealt with very quickly, and with minimum of fuss, which is not what I would have expected from Remco Evenepoel. No,
4: I I think it also, I mean, uh, they definitely tried as hard as they could with the the riders they brought here, you know, and and then losing Philippe along the way. But they're going to have to boost that part of the team going into the next steps of Remco Evenepoel's ambitions in Grand Tours, because they can't get away with riding neither the Giro, nor the tour with this kind of, of backing they'll need a completely new set of helpers for him at a very very a lot a completely different level in my opinion uh, and and coming back to what you said about Belgian media I mean that that's gonna take another step up now I think there's going to be more hysteria there's going to be more pressure and there's going to be a lot more uh, for him to deal with uh, so that's 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 definitely something that they, uh, they're going to have to work with because now it's not just Belgian media. I think the international media are going to start to be quite demanding of him as well. So they, they definitely have their work cut out for them.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, again, to contrast the whole Remco apparatus with what it looked like a year ago. I mean, I remember at the Giro last year, him riding his first Grand Tour, and of course he came in, having not raced since his terrible crash at the Tour of Lombardy the year before, and, you know, our Belgian colleagues were talking about how difficult it was to deal with him or um, it all seemed very political with his family and you know I got the impression from the outside of that this monster was being created and incubated and you could not, there could not be a bigger contrast with what we've seen and experienced on this Vuelta a España. His parents have been here the last half of the race. They've been, um, they've been staying, well, they've been keeping a relatively low profile, but they were on the course today. I think giving him bottles at certain points on the course. His dad, Brian, was the Lantern Rouge in the Vuelta a España in 1983. Was it no ninety three when the Vuelta a hispana came up the Navacerada, so there was a nice sort of asymmetry there, but as I say, everything about him and around him has been cool, calm, and collected.
4: the world is quite helpful that way too isn't it you know with the if if you were to win you're coming from his you, whatever he has to deal with regarding expectations, pressure or, or media, the welter would be a, the perfect way to do it. You know, if you, if you can't do that as much, maybe at the Giro, but not quite the same, and, and you s- certainly can't at the Tour, you know.
3: I mean, you and I, Brian, know well, we've seen foreign stars come to the Giro as the big favourite or the big personality and to a certain extent this happened with Remco last year, how the Italian media fawn over them and they try to adopt them and they're asking them every five minutes what they think of Italy, what they think of pizza what they th- what's their favourite pasta sauce what they think of Michelangelo and it all gets a bit Suffocating, and you don't really get any. There's none of that fawning here no, the World I agree,
4: I, and which, I, which I think they've they, they definitely picked the right Grand Tour. It's, it's, it's still, uh, it still amazes me that they're actually thinking about them bringing him to the Giro after crashing so heavily and being injured for such a long time after Lombardy. It's, it's just it's, it's up there with one of the worst decisions they'd ever made for that kid. But it, it all, you know, whatever they've done now, it, credit for that because they have themselves a, a Grand Tour winner.
3: Brian, talking of riders, young riders in, uh, in hothouse environments, and there have been a few prodigious performances by riders who could accurately be described as prodigies in the Stura d'Italia. Stura d'Italia, what's that in um, One certainly has come from Juan Ayuso, has finished on the podium of the Vuelta, or will finish on the podium of the Vuelta tomorrow. He's 19 years old, um, 11 months, 25 days, so I'm guessing he's got a birthday coming um, any day now. In fact he has, hasn't he? Because he was born, as I keep saying, in the middle of the two thousand and two Vuelta a España won by Aitor Gonzalez. But Brian, what's impressed you most about Ayuso?
4: Well, several things. His ability to stay cool in difficult situations is is beyond his his age. I think that's that's very, very well handled. Um and I think he has has a really good way to sort of manage his own strength in a way that that amazes me given his experience uh, physiologically and that's 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 the most impressive thing is how he's gotten better in the last week that's really where that's the mark of a champion that's that's how you really define a great grand tour rider uh, and and i remember the first time i saw uh, Pogacar really showing what he's able of, uh, when he won those three stages at the World Cup, um, he just got better and better. And if, if the World Cup had been just four or five days longer, he would have won it too, because he rode everyone out of his wheel. Ayuso didn't do that, and he is still 19, but his his ability to recuperate for the third week is such a fundamental thing in, in cycling, and that's going to come to his Great, great advantage. It's hard to say when you say you compare him with Carlos Rodriguez, who's a little bit older but still very young because of his crash. But Carlos Rodriguez was, let us I don't know how he would have fared if he didn't crash, but he hasn't been as convincing in the third week. Maybe for other reasons, but Ayuso has just become stronger and stronger. And especially today, he was strong and he's willing to race also. He's not riding very conservatively at all. And once they put their pieces together with uh, Almeida... I guess that was a small advantage for him because he dropped, he got a one place in the GC. But they have been a bit sort of all over the place that team, and and he still has been able to defend his third place. I think they've they've wasted a lot of energy on on things they shouldn't, but he he hasn't demanded them to do it any differently.
3: Yeah, they've had a very strong team, one of the strongest teams in the race in the mountains, but some of their tasks tactics have sometimes been questionable and Brian you said there about him getting stronger in the third week that was something I just saw himself actually alluded to in his press conference he wasn't sure how he would feel in the third week but he said well actually the third week has been my strongest week possibly the week when the courses have suited him the most as well I mean that's another discussion to be had about this World of España whether weeks two and three were in the wrong order effectively Mm. and actually if you look geographically the the race organisers almost could have swapped those yeah. two weeks around,
4: and then I think then then Carapaz probably would have won.
3: <laughs> yes, that is true. That is true. But uh, you saw the one the one. I'm not going to call it a doubt about him, but I think a concern that some people have is that he's been living almost as a professional for a few years now. There are all these stories about his. His dad having, again, sort of housed him in this environment, put him in this environment with coaches and an entourage, which has permitted him to live almost like a professional for a few years now. And there was a question in the press conference just now about how, well, at 19 years of age, does he never does he never feel that he sacrificed too much of his youth because he's probably never been to a disco even or a nightclub? And he sort of laughed and said, well, no, he's got great friends and he's never felt that um, he's missed out on anything. But I, I, I get the sense that people feel with Carlos Rodriguez that he's the almost roarer than Juan I use. He's less polished yeah. in some respects. I mean, he certainly looks less polished. He's, he's more baby face. You can almost see in in his muscles or in the lack of definition in his legs. He, he looks a little bit like Pogacar did in 2019. Um, you mentioned that there. Incidentally, people are wondering how old Pogacar was in 2019. At the start of that welter where he won three stages in emphatic style, crushing style, and finished third on the podium, he was 20 years old and 338 days. So about a year older than Ayuso now. And of course, just less than a year later, he won the Tour de France.
4: Ayuso has a contract horizon
3: until... This until 2068.
4: 2028. I think the one, the one big danger for him is complacency. You know, he, he, he really must be ambitious beyond his you know need to fight for a better contract that's an insane amount of years unheard of in cycling even for riders like Bernal or who else can we mention that have those long you know yeah uh, pogatchov
3: yeah. yeah it goes it goes longer than Pogacar's, yeah 2028 i mean i've spoken to i've spoken to agents about these very very long contracts that are being signed now and a few of them sort of raise an eyebrow and suggest that they they're not worth the the paper they're written on because there are all sorts of break clauses and you know push came to shove and a team was desperate enough to get someone out of a, mm. a contract like that and the rider was unhappy and they were sort of posturing for a move then it, it, it you know it could happen but yeah certainly an extraordinary length of time el ritmo de la vuelta the rhythm of the vuelta This is El Ritmo de la Vuelta, our knee slide across a Madrileño dance floor on an Andalusian single estate extra virgin olive oil slick, oil slick, that should have been, our sequin pink panther onesie shimmering in homage to Johan de Moinck's 1978 Giro d'Italia victory as we celebrate a tradition that began that very spring. No, not Belgians failing to win grand tours, but the official anthems of La Vuelta a España. Tonight, Brian, I thought we'd go back to the last time a Belgian finished on the podium of the Vuelta. That was when? Must have been before I started being into cycling, probably. So, a long time ago. It was 1995, and the song was Jaguarundi, which is an animal, apparently.
2: para ver las estrellas por libre y distraído no cae en la cuenta en las luces que atropellan vagabundis cómo para arreglar el bundi luna rasca mi bolsillo y dispara mi gatillo jaguarundi
3: this by the Galician rocker, Victor Coyote. No, I'm not making that up, although Victor himself did invent that surname. He was actually called Victor abundancia although he did have his first successes in a group named Los Coyotes. A Jaguarundi, for those who don't know, is a wild cat native to Central and South America, gray or red in color and shy and reclusive in behavior. The eventual winner of the 1995 Vuelta a España, Laurent Jalabert, sometimes exhibited similar traits, although his physical features had earned him another nickname, the panda. Jalabert had undergone a remarkable transformation after a shocking crash in a bunch sprint in the 1994 Tour de France, morphing from bunch galloper into mountain goat. He won on the Alto del Naranjo above Oviedo on the fourth day to take the Mayo Amarillo and would never lose it. He also won the hearts of many fans and the German rider Bert Dietz by attacking and dropping his rival for overall victory, Abraham Alano, drawing to within striking distance of Dietz who had been off the front for 140km and slowing to let Dietz win in the Queen stage on the Sierra Nevada. It was a marvellous gesture, said Dietz. ABC newspaper calls Jalabez a lesson in generosity. The victory took Jalabert's cushion over Alano to more than five minutes, and the Frenchman would duly coast to victory in Madrid. A week later, Alano was runner up, and in third place, at the time of recording on Saturday night, the last Belgian to finish on the podium of La Vuelta España, Brian, was a certain who. Yeah, sorry, man. I'm uh, I'm still totally being here. To... Yeah, still drawing Johann, blanks. Johan, it was a certain Johan Brunel. Well there was a guy who didn't draw draw any blanks. That's <laughs> sure. Brian. Brian, who was the last Belgian to finish on the podium of the Tour de France? I, I don't know. And I can't it remember. It was Jürgen van den Broek. Remember him in 2010?
4: Oh, remember? yeah. yeah tall guy. Very like, yeah. consistent. Uh,
3: yeah. Tall, very shy, very nervous yeah. chap he was. Yeah. And the last Belgian to finish on the podium of the Giro. Still riding. Still riding at the Vuelta, in fact. It was Thomas de Hent who almost oh, won in 2012. Right. Yeah. Oh,
4: that was the big Stelvio yeah. stage, wasn't correct, it? Correct, yeah. correct. He came yeah. very
3: close to winning that Giro d'Italia, which would have been a huge surprise, but it nearly happened. Any more quizzes? <laughs> Anything else you want to throw at I'm me? To, I mean, I was trying to think of Emric Mass-related questions. If I'm not mistaken, this will be the, the third time that Enric Mass has finished on the podium of the Vuelta a España, and it's been that's a hell of correct. a ride. It's been a hell of a ride by old Enric, or young Enric. Uh, how old is Enric Mas now? He's, he's in his late 20s, I would guess. Um, but he has come back very, very bravely from a disastrous Tour de France, has he not? He deserves a lot of
4: credit for how he's tried to push, I think, his repertoire a little bit, he, especially in this last week. I, the aggressive riding by Movistar has been out of the, the normal way that they've approached stages, I think especially today. But yeah, seeing mean, it was a wholehearted attack. The, the few times he tried to put, Evanapool under pressure, and he's um, it looks to me like he's been able to sort of turn the page on on his, I think potential mental difficulties with with the pressure that that he's obviously living under, being being the leader at um, at Morvista and especially in, in a very difficult season. I mean, they've they've been very close to being relegated. So um, I think he'll come out of this with a lot of mental strength, and it's it's a decent result. I mean, if Rockledge couldn't beat Evanapol, how, how was Mas supposed to do it?
3: Well, it will be, Brian. He's third, second place at the Vuelta a España. He also finished second last year, of course, and in 2018. I mean, interesting contrast today. Movistar were, were pretty happy with their lot today. We heard Carlos Verona earlier. Inter- interesting cont- contrast with uh, 12 months ago, when of course they had that Debacle involving Superman yeah. Lopez, where he effectively threw away a podium position and stormed out of the Vuelta a España. But Mass is a guy who has got a bit of a bad rap in the media. We talked earlier in the Vuelta about how the Spanish fans had also turned on him. There was an incident before a stage start early in the welter when he was called a paquete by uh, a heckler. Um, basically a good-for-nothing rider. Um, but he was was conspicuously, Brian, in his press conference he was much more charming than he has been in the past and he was very very gracious. And generous in his well, thanks and gratitude to all sorts of people, to the including to the the Spanish press, and it was it was quite endearing, I must say. And Brian, you mentioned that crisis he had at the vuelta, oh, sorry, at the Tour de France last month. There was a crisis which manifested itself, among other things, in difficulties on descents. This morning, and this brings us to our encuentro del dia, our penultimate one of the vuelta. And um, this morning, I spoke to the ever charming, ever evunky. Movistar team manager Eusebio Unzue about, among other things, Emmerich Mass's difficulties at the Tour de France. We also discuss Remco Evenepoel and, of course, Alejandro Valverde, who is riding his last Vuelta a España mountain stay today. So let's go, without further ado, to today's Encuentro del Día. El Encuentro del Día. The meeting of the day. Brian. We're going to be experimenting again with the avant-gardist live dubbing technique that I've premiered at this Vuelta a España. So, well, here's Eusebio, and I'm going to tell you what he said. Emergió
2: aquí en el profesionalismo, pues haciendo cosas de... He said, talking about
3: Remco of he came into professional cycling doing things that only great riders can do. These 40 or 50 kilometre solo brakes, very few people have ever been able to do that. Pogacar can do it, Van Aert can do it, but not many others. And then he's improved in the high mountains this year. This Vuelta was going to be the ultimate test of how far he's come and Remco's passed it with flying colours. He's shown he can defend like at La Pandera and in the Sierra Nevada last week and everywhere else he's put time, even into the climbers. Could he do it at the Tour? Well, there you need to gain time in the TTs and then be consistent for the other 19 days. He can certainly do the TT part and we've seen him in the mountains here. It's true that a Vuelta is never as big a test of climbing as the Tour and you don't get those sequences of multiple multiple 18 or 20 kilometre climbs. I'd also agree that the last week of this world has been relatively light on climbing, even though we've had deceptive days that sap the energy. Vingegaard and Pogacar also aren't here and they set the standard now. That said, he's beat everyone else and it looks to me as though everything's within his reach. Then, Brian, I asked Eusebio about Enric Mass and how a rider who suffered what some have described as a nervous breakdown at the Tour, and certainly a loss of confidence, uh, recover so quickly. Eusebio said, Honestly, it's difficult to explain. From one day to the next in the Tour, this fear of descending suddenly gripped him and his brain started playing tricks on him. He'd never had a problem with descending before. And the incredible thing is how he's gone from how he was on the Obisque at the Tour, a quivering wreck or a shivering wreck, to where he is now with his descending. I went to see him at home in Andorra three weeks after the tour and he was a different man. You could tell that he'd somehow purged the fear from his brain. It's true that we also helped him every way that we could with a psychologist and a descending coach. Now he's riding the same way that he did in Tireno Andriatico in March before a crash cost him his podium place there. After that, a similar thing happened at the Tour of the Basque Country, then again at the Dauphine, and at that point his confidence was completely shot. And finally, Brian, we talked about Alejandro Valverde, who's still got a long-term contract to work with Movistar. We don't know in what capacity yet. I asked Eusebio, what would it be? And he said, well, it hasn't really been defined. We're going to give him the opportunity to carry on and take his time to find out what kind of role will suit him best. I know for sure that he's an example for everyone in the team with his messages, the messages that he gives them, his professionalism, and he'll continue
2: to be that.
3: So, Brian, that was, as I said, the ever suave Eusebio Unthue this morning. i looking quite pleased with himself, not least because there are a few rumours at the Vuelta at the moment and Eusebio actually confirmed these to me or or the hint of them to to me, that there's a, a new sponsor that could be waiting in the, in the wings for Movistar, there could be a fairly hefty injection of cash coming, I think, Heath certainly thinks, for Movistar um, in the coming months, and things are looking a bit brighter for them, aren't they? Um, certainly than they were at the start of the Vuelta, they had good results with Aramburu in, um, was it the Tour of Limousin in France, then they had that good piece of fortune in the Tour of Britain, with um, that being cancelled, or the last few stages being cancelled, and um, them picking up the overall victory with Serrano there and now a podium place at the Welter with Enric Maas.
4: Yeah, but it's the, the stage that Gonzalo Serrano won in, at the Tour Britain, that was their only 14th victory this year, which is not, you know, they've they they banked on Valverde being able to take points here and there, but this this result, uh, the second place for Maas here, is, is extremely important. If they, if they didn't podium on their home race, after such a, a horrible season, that, that I don't know how he would attract sponsors based on that sporting outlook, but um, kudos to them if they have.
3: Exactly, Brian, exactly. And, well, it's been a good welter for the, for the Spaniards, certainly, for Movistar. But, Brian, I wanted to ask you in the third part of our podcast tonight, has it been a good Vuelta a España from your point of view, from the point of view of the spectacle, as as someone who has mainly been watching the welter at home on television?
4: I really like the world. I would, I would have liked to actually be there because it's, it's such an enjoyable place. All right, uh, Brian, all right.
3: You know, yeah. We can't aff- we, can, we know you can't afford you, not twice a year.
4: That's okay. I, I could have just gone on my own account. But we spoke earlier about the, the parkour, and I, and I think that was a little bit of a letdown. Um, you, they could have easily, as you said, switched the second and the third week, and it would have given us, I think, a better and more interesting last week. A lot of riders didn't make it to the end. You know, uh, Simon Yates, uh, Sivakov, Raw And I think it would have been a different race if, if they'd all been there. It would have been a different race in the mountains altogether. Uh, but you can't, that's the, grand, that's the nature of Grand Tours. You know, you have to look at what's there and you have, you know, it's a bit like golf, you know. The two basic rules of golf, as you know, Play the course as it is and play the ball where it lies. That's the beauty of golf, and sometimes that's mm-hmm. how we need to look at cycling. Not you know those who aren't there aren't there. Period. So it's, this is the emergence of of um, of Evan and, Paul and this Walter uh, has definitely come into his favour with everything that's that's happened. Uh, I think today was 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 good racing. If the if the world had been five six days longer, I think Ayuso and and Carapaz probably had a potential of of winning it, but uh, overall, you know, I, I like the world, so it's hard for me to say anything bad about it, uh, other than I wasn't there myself. <laughs>
3: now, I mean, from my point of view, well, it will be time tomorrow to give a wine glass wait- rating, perhaps, but... It's I, not going to be the... up there,
4: though. In, no, in, it's I mean, not. I actually, I actually just ordered a new wine glasses, speaking of. Um, but, yeah, I, I, in, in, the, in the Daniel Freebie rating, I probably wouldn't give it more than a three.
3: Yeah, I think it's struggling even to make a three, I would suggest. And The one thing that occurred to me today, or it's occurred to me over the last few days that it's missed, as well as maybe a slightly more interesting route in the back end, has been an agent provocateur, which the... Giro was very lucky to have in Mathieu van der Poel and Tour de France had in Wout van Aert. Even on those days when we were at risk of having a fairly routine day with maybe Pro Conti teams sending you know their yeah. their riders down the road and which we have seen a lot of this world race we've seen Kern Farmer we've seen Burgos Biache West as well and that's been the sort of tra- traditional or the the conventional configuration hasn't it on those flat transitional days. At the Tour de France often we were spared that because Walt van Aert did something very unorthodox, and the Vuelta hasn't hasn't had that.
4: Been pretty impressed with with Matt Peterson, and he could still he could still win again tomorrow, and that would be his fourth victory. And it still blows my mind that that he that he doesn't want to ride the world because I think he would have been the outright favorite. But but either way, it's, this has been a, a very important race for him as well, and it'll I think it'll it'll also help him. Go into next year with a, with a different type of shape and a, and a, I think potentially even a better outlook for the classics.
3: Yeah, and I think his performance here at the welter is really well, that that team is is already starting to build its whole identity around Maz Pedersen. I think, but it has really reinforced that sense of the him being the centerpiece of their of their present and their future. I would suggest. I mean, he's just signed a a new long-term contract and it is a team that is good at lots of things but hasn't really specialised in one in particular and now I, th- I think they have a talisman and they will have that talisman for the next two or three years. Science in Sport is
0: supporting the cycling podcast at the 2022 Vuelta España. Science in Sport, fueled by science.
3: Science and Sport have a discount code for all Cycling Podcast listeners. As I'm sure you know, it gives 25% off everything at scienceinsport.com and the code is SISCP25.
0: La etapa de mañana, la cena de ayer. Tomorrow's stage, yesterday's food.
3: Well, Brian, that was not last night's cena, not last night's comida, the food. It was last night's, a bit more of last night's música from the, the enormous open air concert that we were treated to and that kept us up all night in Navalcarnero. Um the dinner itself was not a particular highlight of this Wu Espana, but it's been there there haven't been that many culinary highlights in this Vuelta a España, I must confess. I had some sort of quesadillas and um, which were okay. We had some madrileño stew, some cocido madrileño at the press room today, adjacent to the big red bouncy castle doubling as the press room, which was quite fun. And um well let's let's hope that. Tonight in Madrid, we're staying in the centre of Madrid, and tomorrow night we'll bring better things. And who knows, maybe there'll even be a cameo by the, the cycling podcast team at the infamous Vuelta España um, party, end of Vuelta party. Brian, you got any stories? Should we, should we have any stories about the. Let's have a, um, an amnesty of Vuelta España <laughs> party amnesty and some stories from Brian Nygaard before we talk about tomorrow's stage, shall we? I
4: mean, I remember the first welter I, I did. There's also a lot of stuff from the first welter I did I don't remember. But it actually started out being a bit of a party central early on, um, which actually put a bit of a halt to it later on for, for me. But I remember we actually went out very early in uh, Santander, which is a, it's a brilliant place to go out and had a very late night. And I actually had to see the doctor the day after because I had such a bad hangover. I was not feeling well made. I was, and I remember we were, did,
3: we went, how did the doctor treat that? Oh yeah,
4: was very strong painkillers. I don't know if it's tramadol, at all, uh, well, but I, I had to take something because I couldn't stop throwing up actually. And that's not convenient in the bus. And I remember we were checking in on this beautiful hotel um, the day after in Burgos, um, one of the best hotels of that world. And I was just, I was just in bed basically just as soon as the stage was finished I was just in bed and uh, luckily there wasn't a late start the day after in Soria, I think it was. But, but one thing that I, I that I really love about the World is that if you ever want to throw a party post-race forget about Paris, forget about Milano because Madrid is is, is one of the place, places in Europe to go out because everything starts so late. You could even be at any kind of sponsor function you can do whatever you need to do even if you still go out like at one or two at night, the party's only just started. It's such a brilliant place to go out. It's such a great vibe. You know, it's, it's if you go to Plaza Sandana or, I don't know. I, I don't remember actually being at an official Walter party. And and if there ever was one, I, and I'd been at it, I, I probably don't remember. I just I just really like going out and that whole atmosphere in Madrid, like late night atmosphere, people partying until very early, as they did at your hotel last night. Um, in the outskirts I, I really enjoy that
3: uh, in my younger, more reckless days, I attended a Vuelta Espana, end of Vuelta Espana party in Madrid, and had a dance off with Julian Alaphilippe, and won the dance off. I should add, um, of course. <laughs> the judges. Well, the, 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 there was no, there was no photo finish. It was we didn't, we didn't need any judges. It was a convincing victory. Well, those years
4: haven't been that long ago, then, right? I mean, they. What? No, no, not that long
3: ago. Brian, I give you a multiple choice. We can go A, some wistful gazing from Fran Reyes, or B, you can tell us about tomorrow's stage. Watch it. Oh, friend Ray is easy. That's easy. I love the. Ma- okay, I love the man. A. it's A. Let's A. Let's hear from Fran Reyes. Well, Fran, this world is almost at its conclusion. You are about to disappear over the brow of the, the mountain over there, um, <laughs> off the edge of the Sierra de Guadarrama. You're about to head into the province of Segovia, is that right? You're going to yeah. leave us this evening. Uh, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to leave, but
1: just uh, for, uh, so, for a few hours, because I'm going to try and
3: meet people at the Women's Vuelta. Well, Fran, were you rewarded, was your presence on the Vuelta, today at least, on the Navacerada, rewarded with a good stage, do you think?
1: Well, I think it was a very good stage, Uh, from the point of view that it was intense and uh, there was always this air of expectations coming, you know, of what was coming. But uh, indeed, we spoke about it yesterday, right? That no one was actually interested in attacking, and hence, we didn't see a full-on attack. uh, Erik Maas launched one of his attacks, but it was only 200 meters long, and afterwards nothing else happened from the point of view of fighting for the red jersey.
3: Friend, we're in serious danger here of offering some serious analysis of a bike race. I'd <laughs> rather get you to turn around, face over, as I said, the brow of the Sierra de Guadarrama and look at that gorgeous view and do what you do best and just gaze wistfully out there uh, and describe the scene for us. Describe the scene here on the Navasera. I think we're going to see Remco Evenepoel appear any second because his press conference is due to start in a couple of minutes. But just, just tell the listeners where we are. Well, Daniel... We are on the, what we
1: could say, it's the land of Madrid. The Sierra de Guadarrama is the mountain range that separates Madrid from Ávila. And it is a beautiful scenery. It is where well, most people come to wonder when they get too obnoxious about living in such a dense city as Madrid is. Indeed, today, me, as I parked my car on the way to Segovia, on direction to Segovia, I sat on some tree in order to to write my thoughts on my journal because I, I am that kind of I am, I am that kind of person that keeps a diary, you know. You sat on a tree. Yeah, I sat under a tree. I sat oh, under, under a tree. Under okay. a tree. I mean, right. not on top of the tree. Right. Just okay. imagine. I mean, that would be, be that would be Yeah, that would be a level of skill that I would never attain. But at even, but yeah, it's actually quite gorgeous here and quite green. Did, not, right, as of now, we were saying, oh, on our right!" How people was asking Perico Delgado for a Mr. picture. Mr. Segovia. Me, yes, he's from Segovia, but he—he's one of his most memorable feats was done here in the Sierra de Guadarrama back in 1985 when all the Spanish teams colluded to take the
3: Vuelta title away from Robert Miller and gave it to Perico Delgado. And he won again up here, he basically won the Vuelta again up here in 1989.
1: Yeah, can be, but I, I, to be honest, I don't have that in my mind. <laughs> Even if I have been doing research on Guadarrama,
3: I never went as far as you did. Darling. Well, Fran, <laughs> we won't keep you too much longer. You're going off to see the women's race. Will we see you in Madrid tomorrow? You will see me in Madrid.
1: Indeed, I am going to a book club tomorrow after midnight. If we are going to read The Hobbit aloud so if you want to come we, you can join me there yeah well, with please. a few
3: drinks maybe a few drinks also but uh, these these interventions become more esoteric every evening but um, <laughs> hopefully they'll climax tomorrow Fran off you go have a lovely thank you very much Daniel have a lovely one too okay Brian that was Fran Reyes just an hour or so ago gazing wistfully um, over the horizon here on the Sierra de Guadarrama everyone's starting to pack up here the bouncy castle will be deflated at any moment I'm sure cars are leaving the car park and we still haven't talked about tomorrow's what well, what we defined earlier in the podcast as a procession what is it where is it and what we're going to what we're going to see tomorrow
4: we're not going to see a lot until they actually hit the streets of Madrid you know cuz it's it's a, it's sort of a, it starts, I believe, in Las, Ro- in Las Rosas, doesn't it? Which is a, a fairly new part of the outskirts of Madrid, pretty nondescript. But once we, I really like the, um, the circuit, the Madrid circuit, also because I think that, that part of uh, the central part of Madrid is such a magnificent place. And it's a, it's a, I don't know if they're actually doing it the other way around again this year because it used to be a bit of an, not an uphill, but a slight uphill, just a, a, maybe a percent and a half. Uh, or, or if they changed it around, I, I apologise for not checking up on that. But, um, yeah, it, it's, it's a, wonder, a wonderful thing coming into Madrid.
3: Um, I, to be honest, I think they it's it's uphill whichever way they do it, okay. because... Ah, uh, they just changed, they just changed the... Finish yeah. on its it's opposite sides of the same right, right. piece of road. Okay. And well, that's good Los for... Year, that's I think they did it clockwise thing. and in the past they've done it clockwise, But, Brian, you mentioned last, Rozas, uh, where the... Stage is going to start as the car alarm goes off behind me. That's not me breaking into um, a vehicle. There's going to be, tomorrow at the start, there's going to be a glass sculpture of Alejandro Valverde uh, made from recycled glass, I believe, unveiled uh, near the start line. Um, so that's something not to be missed although I will be missing it because I'm not going to go to the start not even a, a glass sculpture <laughs> of Alejandro Valverde I think you can, I think you can be allowed tomorrow, I'm afraid yeah. but um, look forward to a, a barnstorming sprint finish to bring us home to bring us in and to conclude the Grand Tours for 2022 but Brian that does conclude the entertainment um, it concludes well your stint on this Vuelta a España it's been an absolute delight to have you I'm, I'm I'm sorry we couldn't have you in person in Madrid, well, in Spain at all, or in Madrid tomorrow. But, um, well, you and I, I'm sure, I'm sure, and I hope very much we'll be reconvening at the Giro d'Italia next year. And we'll be hearing from you over the autumn and winter, I'm sure, as well. But um, in the meantime, I'm going to thank you, Brian. And, um, well, i tell you what a, what a delight it's been to have you yet again. Thank you, Daniel. The pleasure is all mine. I really mean it. Thank you, Brian. And I said that concluded the entertainment. It doesn't quite because I know that a lot of our listeners have enjoyed hearing from um, one rider in particular in this Vuelta España. He's riding his first Vuelta España. Um, He's been riding for EF Education, Easy Post. He is James Shaw. And well, we're going to play out with a bit of James today at the start this morning, getting ever closer to the end, the finish line. And what will be a big landmark in his career, his first grand tour. So um, this was James Shaw this morning and I'm going to wish you all good evening and we'll be back tomorrow with lucky Larry Warbass. Hi, James. Are you looking forward to today? Is looking forward the wrong word? No, I'm looking
6: forward
8: to it, yeah. Why not enjoy it? Like, here, got to do it, haven't I? I've I've got to make it to the finish, so I might as well enjoy it on the way, so... So we've checked
6: in with you at regular intervals. What's the current sort of... Where's the battery level
8: one day from the end? Oh, yeah, the battery level's pretty low. I'm at that point now where you've, like... You've left it so long and you're running around trying to find your charger, like... Yeah, that panic. Lost the charger. Yeah, panic, find the charger quick. Like, you know, it's already coming that mode that says, uh, you know, energy saving mode. Find your charger, and I've gone way beyond that now. So, no, I'm pretty, I'm pretty tired I'm feeling good today. I feel like okay, I had a bit of a bad day yesterday, but hopefully today come around a little bit. I'm going to need to come around a little bit. It's a tough old day out as well. So. We talked earlier about
6: the eating issue, and you said you were struggling to get enough fuel. Um, how's that progressed
8: over the last few days? Uh, I struggled again yesterday, um, but last night at dinner, I was fine. And this morning, I, again, I was fine. Uh, I don't know, maybe the stomach just had too many carbs for, for one day. But uh, it's come round a little bit and I've been able to eat a bit more. And ho- hopefully that'll stand me in good stead as well.
6: James, um, there's been this news story over the last couple of days about a couple of teams, um, well, the teams that might get relegated um, now it seems like they're sort of appealing to the UCI. I mean, you know everything that your team has kind of been through this year, moving pieces around to go to different
8: races. Um, how do you feel about that? I mean, yeah, I mean, I imagine it's the same for a lot of other teams. You know, we've all had to do things we di- probably didn't really want to do. Or I think for us as well, is it's a strange one because we're not a team that's, our philosophy is not based on, purely results, you know, with like with Lachlan and Alex, it's we put back into the sport in a different way, you know, and the the system doesn't factor that into the equation and you know all other teams have had to do things as well and use resources that they would otherwise want to use elsewhere and stuff so I I don't really know what the answer is. I think I think one thing we have learned though is the system doesn't work, and the system needs amending for the future. What the solution is short term for the teams that are in that zone and stuff. I mean, teams like Israel, they have a budget of 20 million a year. You can't just take that out of the sport like like that, can you? So yeah, who knows what will happen? And I'd, you know then i'm sure something or some agreement will be come to but what that will be is, is i'm not sure I, I spoke to hugh yesterday he's in lankawi which is a race that i don't know if your team would usually do probably not and um, what are you doing after this i go home for a bit recover and then i'll go to italy in the beginning of october do a couple of one days and probably look at ending like lombardia that sort of time james at this time of the season i guess the thoughts turn
6: to the winter what's the one thing that you are looking forward to doing in the winter, yeah, probably
8: just being a normal person again for a bit, you know, and um, eating normal foods and not <laughs> civilian life. Yeah, I'm not just filling my face with uh, rice and pasta at nine o'clock every morning. I think probably, yeah, just being a bit normal. I got to move house as well, so try and get that done because I've yeah done so many race days this year and I've not I've not done them all in one big block like this. I've done a lot of uh, shorter tours. So I've had a lot of travel days and stuff, so it's been busy, but. Yeah, just be a normal human for a, for a few weeks. You and me both. Enjoy the day.
6: The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore,
2: Daniel Freed, and Lionel
5: Burns. <laughs>